You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. We have been working through Luke, and we're going to continue to do that. We're in Luke 18, following up Sean's great sermon from last week. So if you want to grab your Bible or turn it on, I'll put it up here. Goodness. And uh, we'll read this incredible passage, Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. People are also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place in his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard him say this said, Then who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going to Jerusalem and everything is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. and They did not know what he was talking about. This is the word of God for us to ponder together this morning. What an incredible, incredible story. I mean, it's just amazing. Story of... How do you get eternal life? What's involved in that? I just put this in the danger of money because that incredible statement, it's harder for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich man of the kingdom of God. There's something about money. But there's something about eternal life. Are you following this story? What's that a picture of? That's the Thai youth soccer team. And where are they? They're in a cave. They're way back in it. How did they get there? Well, they just walked in. Why don't they just walk out? Because the river invaded their cave and they had to go further in to save their lives as the water came up 
you look at this picture of the cave, if you've been following this, and I hope you have, it's an incredible story. They're at least two and a half miles in, and you can see in this cutaway picture, there's some dry spots, and there are some places at least 16 feet underwater, and there's some types that the, the hole is just tiny, and they're trapped. Twelve days before they found them. And the efforts that have been done since then to try to bring these boys out and their coach, 12 boys in the coach, have been gargantuan. International teams are coming in to try to rescue these boys. It took a long time to find them, and they finally did. Getting in there was incredible, and the divers are moving in to find them. They've gotten food and blankets to them, but... They can't stay there. And the divers are, right now, four of the boys are out. Yeah, really. I mean, incredible, incredible. Uh, Rod Canham in the, was here this morning before we began, and he was talking about it. He was a professional diver, 7,500 hours underwater, trapped in caves twice. He says, I know exactly how these people feel. He told me a little bit about it. They're going through, I mean, there's no light for miles. The water is, it's like trying to rush up a, a fire hose to get to these boys. And the question, of course, in this, you have the contrast of the rescuers trying to go in and the boys trapped in the darkness what must I do to inherit life? What must I do to save the life of these 12 boys and their coach? And it's cost the life of Salman Gunan, a retired professional diver who was putting air tanks in there and his own air ran out and he drowned. He gave up his life for these boys in the cave. Now, there's no question that these boys, they know they're in trouble. They know they can't save themselves. And the heroic efforts they've been doing to save them have captured the imagination of the whole world. And they have to wait 10 to 20 hours because they have to replace these air tanks along the way. And there are divers in that cave right now that are putting air tanks so they can bring some more boys out. And the monsoon rains have restarted, so we know the water's going to fill up again. And it's an incredible story. What do you do for life? And that's really what this story is about here. What do you do for life? Jesus begins, well, Sean was preaching it last week, did a great job of helping us understand the rich man and the, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer. And he finished up with truly to anyone who had not received the kingdom of God like a little child never enter it. So the ruler responds, and it makes total sense. This guy says, well, okay, Jesus, what do I have to do? You say, I've got to become a little child. Like, what does that mean? I think what he's doing here, he's asking for a personal interpretation of what Jesus means when he says become like a little child. What do I got to do? And this is a responsive guy who's trying to get it figured out. I want eternal life. I want to be sure I've got eternal life. What do I have to do? What does it mean to become like a little child? He's asking for, help me, Jesus. And I would think, okay, this would be a perfect time for Jesus to outline the gospel in five easy 
points, right? Wouldn't you think so? What does he say? Why do you call me good? Like, what's that about? I asked for help and you ding me? But what he does here is he brings God into the conversation. Because that always has to be there. That always has to be there. We've got to have God in the conversation. Jesus brings God in and reminds us that goodness is measured to God. Goodness is measured by who God is and what our relationship with him is like. Then he says this. You know the commandments. And he lists some of the Ten Commandments. So, what do you think? Does the guy keep these? Does the guy keep those? He says, I, I kept these from him as a boy. True or false? Totally true. Totally true. Totally true. I am convinced this... Well, why do I do it? He never committed adultery, never murdered, never stole, never lied, never... Honored his father and his mother. I, why do I say that? Because of what Jesus said. He didn't say, like, come on, dude, like, get a life. Let me tell you about your sin. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Seems to me that Jesus accepts his mosaic morality. What's that? Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Honor your father and your mother. He accepts his mosaic morality. But he's going to go on. He's going to question his Abrahamic morality. Now about 90% of you say, okay, Gary, there you go again. What in the world are you talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked, frankly, because I'm going to geek out a little bit and tell you what I'm talking about. Because the difference here, I think, is really important. This guy, like a lot of people, is really into mosaic spirituality, but not into Abrahamic. So what does it mean? Abrahamic Another name for it would be Torah. That's just like the message of the entire Old Testament. That's Abrahamic. And that consists of things like Genesis 2. Definition of marriage. Man leaves his father and mother, united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's Abrahamic. That's Torah. That's always true. That's always true. Another one is Genesis 15. God has said to Abraham, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son. You're going to have an offspring. And through him, will, all the nations will be blessed. Fifteen years later, Abraham is 90 years old. Sarah is how old? 80 years old. And Abraham says, like, 80-year-old women don't have babies. What's the deal, God? You promised me a son. There is no son. A guy from Damascus is going to be my heir if I croak. What's up? And God says, don't worry about it. See the stars? You're going to have offspring like that. What does Abram do? He amends God. He believes God. He trusts God. He says, I don't get it how an 80-year-old woman can have a baby from me, a 90-year-old guy. But, okay, I'll, I'll trust you, Lord. And God says, that kind of trust is what I'm looking for. See, it's Abrahamic righteousness. that says, boy, do I not get you, God. Big time, I don't get you. But I'll trust what you say is true. That's Abrahamic. Moses comes along and adds different kinds of things on top of Torah. So it's things like this. Under Abrahamic, don't steal. I mean, that's really clear. Don't steal. But then it says, if you do steal, 
an ox, then you've got to pay back five ox. If you steal a sheep, four sheep. Clearly beef is better than lamb. It gives specifics to offerings, a lot of them. When you do an offering, God, this is what to do. It gives very specific instructions for temple ceremonies about how to deal with sin in your life. It does things like the pig. Don't have anything to do with it. It's unclean for you. What's wrong with pigs? Nothing. God just don't deal with them. People say, oh, pigs are dirty. Have you seen what cattle do? Eek. So don't do it. That's Moses. There's a lot of that sort of stuff. It includes, you know, don't commit adultery and those things. And what happens here is Moses begins at Sinai, the Ten Commandments. When they come out of Egypt, God takes them to the mountain of, of God, Horeb, and he starts giving them laws, specific commandments for that people of God, and they're very specific on top of the generalities, the principles of Torah. And the thing that's amazing is that there's also an end to the Mosaic Covenant, and that's at Pentecost. After the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and the New Covenant is inaugurated. And we're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. Now, personal note. Remember this? What do we know? That's gone. I love it. I love it. I had a friend tell me, that's why Jesus died, is so he can eat bacon. I think there's more to it than that. I, I think so, but I can understand that. The Mosaic is gone. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Mosaic Covenant at all. It was a way of life, and this man had kept every bit of it. What he hadn't done was basic Torah. That's still around. In basic Torah, Jesus summarizes in two basic points. He says, love God, and love God is Abrahamic. It means to be loyal to God among the gods, and it means to trust him even when it makes no sense. There are lots of times it makes no sense whatsoever to be loyal to Yahweh. I should be loyal to some other god. In the Old Testament, it's Moloch or Chemish or Baal or Astarte, one of the others. These spiritual beings that give good stuff didn't work for free. And do you trust what he says when God says you're going to have a baby and you live by that? The other thing is to love your neighbor. And Jesus says not just love your neighbor, but also love your enemy. Now, of course, that's Torah. That's always been around. That's not a new thing. And what does that mean? That means to seek their best even at personal cost of my comfort. That's Abrahamic. That's Torah. That's always true. And what happens is people keep the details and leave out the underlying Abrahamic Torah. It's a common problem. People keep the details laws, but unlike. So that's why Jesus says, you know, you tithe your mint and cumin. You tithe the seeds in your cabinet like you're so good at keeping Moses, but you neglect justice and mercy. So that's what that is about. So what he's saying here is he questions Abrahamic morality by asking, does he really trust God and does he do justice? Does he love God and love neighbor? That's the question. And the way he gets at it is with one nasty probe. And what was his probe? What did he tell him to do? Sell everything. 
Give it away. Come follow me. And the man's response is he is very sad. Now the word there is a powerful word. It's the same thing that after Herodias wants the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod, who loves John the Baptist, is greatly distressed. It's the same thing that our Lord does in the garden before the crucifixion when he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. That's the word there. The very sad. He is overwhelmed with grief. Why? Because he said, give your money away. Give your money away. And he's overwhelmed. Jesus, don't you know how hard I've worked for that? He's overwhelmed at his obedience. He's kept all the Mosaic commandments. And his piety, you know he's done the sacrifices. He's regular at the temple for the... And he's done all this, and Jesus said, no, you've done all that, that's fine, but sell your money, give it away, come follow me. So he's asking Abrahamic, he says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Now, this particular command sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me, is unique to this man. It's not given to anybody else. Jesus deals with wealthy people from time to time. He never tells them this. Why does he do it to this guy? And see, that's the question, is when Jesus gives you a command, will you say, gosh, that doesn't make any sense. But I'll do it because you're Jesus, you're Lord, you're King of the universe, you're God incarnate. You died for my sin. You rose for my new life. I don't get it. This is crazy. And that's the test on the man. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for rich than the kingdom of God? Indeed, easier for. Now, how hard is it for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Like it ain't going to happen. There is no way. Jesus, in some secret way, some magician way to get a camel through the eye of a needle, he's saying it can't be done. It can't be done. What do the people do when they respond, when they hear to the rich guy, you can't get in? Do they say, well, at least I'm not rich. Do they say, well, serves you right, you rich guy. No, what they say is, oh my gosh, how can anybody be saved? I think that's a key point there. Everyone is shocked. If this good man, if this blessed man can't be saved, there's no hope for me. I mean, look at him. He is incredible. I'm just a common schnock. If he can't be saved, I'm dead. That's their response. Now, Peter and the disciples say, well, Jesus, we left all. And they did. And Jesus says, yeah, good job. You followed my command. And you're going to have incredible reward now and forever. But how hard was it for Peter to leave his job? I mean, that's my job. How am I going to live if I don't fish? Just said, follow me. We'll worry about the details later. Who can be saved? The thing is, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And it comes back again. Well, will you trust what he says? It is possible to be saved, no matter who you are, 
no matter what you've done, there is no sin that's too great for him to overcome. There's no wound so horrible that he can't bring grace into it. There's no accomplishment that's big enough to achieve your status in the kingdom of God. But God can do it. What are the requirements for discipleship? Well, become like a little child. So what he's saying here is receive and trust like a child. Receive and trust like a child. What does that mean? What does that mean? To receive and trust like a child. Do you like that? I like that a lot. You say, Gary, there go with grandkids pictures again. No, not grandkid. Mm -mm. This is James Mayo, newborn son of a good friend of ours, Ryan and Julia. And I was over at their house with Sherry and holding this little guy. He's about four weeks old at this point. What can he do for himself? He can be really cute. I mean, really cute. And he is. He he tickles me in good spots. But he can't even feed himself. And see, becoming like a little child says, I have things that can't be done. I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. See, and that's the requirement. Can you come and say, yeah, I've done all these things. I've done all this stuff and it's good, but... I need your help. And for a lot of people, me, one of them, that's really hard to say. Really hard to say, I need your help. Because it ticks into my self-respect. It ticks into my sense of competence. Become like a little child? Well, I trust that what he commands is good. Well, I trust that what he commands is right. Well, I trust that what he commands is true. Well, I trust that what he commands is real. And his commandments, I mean, that's Eve's temptation to the serpent is, don't trust anybody. Figure it out for yourself. Don't trust anybody. Don't trust the serpent. Don't trust God. Don't trust parents. Don't trust anybody. Check it out for yourself. And that's the serpent's breath. It's so much a part of our culture. Don't trust anybody. Figure it out for yourself. And the risk guy said, well, I'm good. That's part of becoming a little child. That's part of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Well, I do what he says is true, right, good, beautiful, real. When it didn't make any sense to me at all. I just sat with a friend who's pastor working with young folk. And he was telling me, boys and girls and young men and women in his youth group are doing in order to get attention from each other. As you can imagine, it's not good, but they're getting attention, and it makes total sense what they're doing. Jesus said, don't do that. I'll do it good for you. Who are you going to trust? It's a big question. What do you do with your money? I mean, it's, it's all over the place. Then he said this, Deliver to the Gentiles and all this bad stuff is going to happen. And that ticks us back to Luke 9 where he said the same kind of thing. There he said, son of man must have all these bad things happen. But then he said something else. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily. What does it mean to take up the cross? Well, that's the list. It's quite a list. Deliver to the Gentiles, all that. I mean, look at all that stuff. There's a lot of blanks here because it all comes out of one verse and it's all in the back of your notes. But look at the list. 
you'd be misunderstood, maybe. You'd be rejected, maybe. You'd be alone. He was. Following him may mean you go to that same spot. It may be that you're mocked. The famous eye roll. I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, you're one of those. Insulted. Spat on. That's not likely to happen here, but I've got friends in other parts of the world. That exact thing has happened to them because they named the name of Jesus. It may be that you'll be flogged. It may be that you'll be killed. For the sake of others. No. None of those things may ever happen to you. The thing is, are you willing to take up your cross if that's what it means? Are you so wanting to be with the Lord of the universe that you'll go where he takes you? It's a huge question. His final thing is you'll rise on the third day. And that's what he says to the disciples. You will have great reward in this life and eternal life and the life to come. Do you believe that? What it means to open up your life to things. It's, it's hard. Whom does Rich Mueller represent? Well, clearly Bill Gates and Phil Knight, right? It has nothing to do with me. Or maybe it's Jesse Duplantis, the famous televangelist who says, well, I've had two j- private jets. I've got a third one right now, and it's not good enough. I need a, f- I need a fourth jet, not at the same time. $54 million just to buy it, and then about $2.5 million of refurbishments and who knows what. How come? Because if Jesus were here today, he wouldn't ride a donkey fly jet. Well, why isn't the current jet okay? It, I can't go anywhere in the world in one hop. So it costs me more money to put fuel in it. So if I have this new fancy jet, and what do you think when you hear that? <laughs> I have a visceral reaction to that. Is that who he's talking about? You know, I don't think so. I think the rich ruler is a guy like this. Who is this? That's Tim Clark. What is he? He's the mayor of Wood Village. So here's Tim recently riding in a parade, Mayor Timothy Clark. I mean, Tim and Carol are part of our congregation. Carol was here in first service. And this is what I think of when I think of Tim, don't you? Yeah, like, I mean, what is he? He's back here to do it. You know, hit it, Tim. You know, he's a great guy. He's an amazing fellow, and he's always with Carol. Always volunteering, serving together, holding hands. When Carol went through her breast cancer, he was right there the whole time. Well, right now, Tim has a baseball-sized mass in his shoulder. Self-contained, but probably cancerous, the doctors tell him. This past week, he had a biopsy. They drilled a bunch of fluid. This is on his Facebook page. You can see it. And I say it's with his permission. They drilled a bunch of fluid. He said it eased the pain significantly, which says it still hurts a lot. He says, I feel like a carved turkey. Tim's. But see, this is who we're talking about when we talk about the rich ruler. Now, Tim is not extravagantly rich, just to clarify. And I have no doubt that Tim's saying none whatever. But that's who he's looking at. He said, one thing you lack. And I'm thinking, if Tim Clark can't be saved, no hope for Gary. See, that's what I was talking about. Possessions have a narcotic effect on us. They are numbing. 
It's a simple fact that the more stuff we have, the more confidence we have in ourselves. It's a simple statistical fact that the more money people have, the less they give away percentage-wise. Why is that? You'd think if they had more money, they'd give away more. It's exactly the opposite. The most generous people are the poorer people. Why is that? Because narcotics, possessions, have a numbing effect. They may bring pride into us. They may bring self-reliance into us. It takes a lot of money, a lot of effort to get money and a lot to keep it. And they have a numbing effect like this, right? This is what money would do to you like beer does to this dog. (laughs) I can't help but laugh at this crazy sick dog. That's what money does to us. Are you looking at money as a dangerous thing? Very useful. Dangerous. The thing of it is, how we handle our possessions today show whom we worship in our heart. That's why Jesus goes there. The rich guy says, what about eternal life? And Jesus doesn't talk about the gospel. He says, what about your money? Because how you handle your money, your time, tell you a lot about what you value. I asked you a while back, some of you responded. I said, I told you about the people in South Sudan. There are refugees in North Uganda now hopeless. I said, can you give some money because this is where they're doing church? Where's their church? Under a tree. Why? Because they're building, you can't really see it there, but their building looks like this if it's in good shape. What happens when the rains and the winds come? They blow away. So you gave, a number of you gave a good bit of money and we sent it over and they now have what we call in the Philippines, yaro, tin roof that they can put on there and they'll have substantial buildings they can use for churches and schools in a place that have nothing. Your generosity helped to do that and it's a process and get, we'll give you more details that goes on. This is a question. What would be hard for me to give up if God asks? What would be hard for me maybe to receive if God asked? 1969, Sherry and I were newly married halfway through the school year at the Jefferson County Public School. It's a suburb of Denver. I was in a good spot, good thing. Sherry was pregnant. I'd had three draft notices, three induction orders. What does that mean? Show up at 6 o'clock, you get a free expense-paid trip to Vietnam. One of my friends had gone there two weeks later. He was dead. His wife was my sister's best friend. And I was sheltered because I was a math teacher. And we had not a great income, but solid. I was moving up to the district. It was a good job, great church. And God showed up and said, go to the Philippines. Teach at Faith Academy. Which meant left everything including my draft-deferred status with a pregnant wife. What do you do when that happens? Well, first of all, you make really sure it's God saying that. (laughs) Really sure. Which we did, and we, in effect, sold everything. Went to the Philippines. Absolutely life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. Lupe Osario, come on up here, Lupe. She just went through this. I heard the story this week at preaching team, and I finally met Lupe. She's amazing. And she was on the Mexico trip, and she reluctantly volunteered to tell her story. <laughs> Lupe, thank you for being up here again. Thank you. 
Rosario. Tell us a little bit about the trip and what it meant for you. Okay. Good morning. My name is Erandi Osorio, uh, Guadalupe. Um, is my middle name, and so um, I'm referred to as Lupe. That's my nickname. Um, going to the mission trip was, was, was such an honor for me to be able to do this. Um, I had shared my story through this mission trip for the first time ever. I accepted Jesus when I was 13 years old. Um, and part of um, going to this mission, we had to kind of give our testimony. And that was really hard for me. Um, you know, there was pain that I had, um, that God had healed me from, but um, writing it down and sharing it was, it was a challenge. Uh, I waited till the last night where we had to come in and share our testimonies. And um, I just saw God's hand through that process. Um, I shared it here for the first time with um, just the team that was going and um, I I cried um, quite a bit. I'm just sharing it. Um, so let me just tell you a little bit about. I didn't get the chance to share it in the first service, but I came to Christ when I was 13 years old through my brother. He had um, gone to jail and he had met a Jesus in there. So when he came out, he kind of talked to us about this Jesus that he had met that um, just kind of gave him a purpose. Um, and so when I was 13 years old, I accepted him as my savior. But when I was 15 years old, I became pregnant. And that was very challenging for me because I felt that I had betrayed this man that was so perfect and had given his life for me. And I just couldn't, I couldn't comprehend that love for me, that even though I had committed this, that he still loved me and wanted me back. Um, and it took a long time of really asking for forgiveness and not really feeling like he was forgiving me. Um, and on a Sunday, um, someone read Psalms 103. And um, one particular verse just really touched me, where it says, where it talks about our sin and how he, it's just one to ask for forgiveness is he forgives it and it's separated. And I wrote it down and I'd like to read it to you, if that's okay. Sorry. It's Psalms 103:12. It says, "As far as the east is from the west, so far has has He removed our transgressions from us." And it was at that point when I realized that I didn't have to ask for forgiveness um, every Sunday for what I had done, but that He loved me so much that He was He had forgiven me, and I was able to continue my walk with Christ um, in a in a more in a more um, loving way that I truly did believe that he had forgiven me um, for that. And as I was writing my testimony, I was reminded of that, but I was also reminded of that pain that I had um, dealt with as a little girl and, um, and was reminded that the evilness that is in this world doesn't come from God and that he is a loving God and that wasn't his intention um, for us. So what happened on the mission trip? I understand there was an event like on the street and then on the plane. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, we did, uh, there's a word, and I don't know what the word is, but just um, Tim and Gabe, our pastor, um, they took their guitars and Caleb was on the, um, we, there's like a Peruvian box, and we just started worshiping God. Just, we chose the 
God really took us to that location. And um, across from where we were was a, an adult store. And it wasn't intentional. It was just kind of where God had taken us there. And there was a pharmacy behind. And as we're worshiping, and we have little um, booklets to give out to, um, to uh, people that are there that kind of are walking by to talk to them about Christ. Um, my, uh, one of uh, the Gonzalez, um, I call her my aunt, but she's not my aunt. Um, Rebecca um, was speaking to a gentleman, but then she just kind of felt something, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit just talking to her and saying, you need to go talk to this lady. So she goes into the pharmacy and um, starts talking to this lady, and the lady accepted Jesus. It was just, just even to recall and to think about it, um, it's just mind-blowing that, you know, God had been already working in this lady's heart. Um, and she was just waiting for the opportunity for someone to say, do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? This is, you know what, he is, he's done for you. And it was just, it was mind-blowing just to see so you're wiped out at the end of the time. You're on an airplane. What are you doing on the airplane? So I was actually sleeping. I was sleeping. really tired. Good idea. Yeah. yeah. I was and then very what tired. Yeah. Um, our pastor, um, uh, Gabe, he, um, he came up to me. And I remember I was sleeping. And I feel a hand in my shoulder. And just my reaction was just to hold that hand. And I look up. <laughs> and it was Gabe. And he asked me, you know, can you come and talk to this lady? And share your testimony. And I was like, sure. So I got up and I sat next to her. And um, I had only shared my testimony twice. Um, but I had my little kind of cheat sheet, right? Where I can kind of base it off and I have some points that I want to um, talk about. I didn't have that. So I couldn't say, hey, you know, let me go with my luggage and let me take out my, <laughs> where I have my testimony and then I'll share it. So I just kind of, when and I sat with her and I shared my testimony um, and you know I prayed for her um, and I asked her if she wanted to share her testimony she said she wasn't ready and I said that was fine um, and then we kind of kept talking and, and God just um, wanted me to share about what my marriage was like and so I shared that with her and then she shared with me her testimony after that. Um, but, you know, again, it was just kind of God's doing. And every time that I shared it, I just felt a healing, a different type of healing than, um, than I had, that I had felt before. So what God asked you to give up was your right to privacy, if you will. It was. It was very humbling. And it was very, um, you're putting yourself out there and, you know, people are going to know your story. Right, they're gonna know what you've gone through and the pain that you've been through, and it was it was hard. It was hard to do that. Thank you. Can I pray for you? Yes, please. Lord, I just pray for Lupe. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that she heard you and responded to you and said yes when it was scary and hard, even without her notes, Lord. And I just thank you for the response that came, and I just thank you that she could even open a little bit further here with us this morning. Will you empower this beautiful woman to do her work of ministry in hard places? And I pray her story will touch many other stories, can experience the reality of your grace and hope, because 
they're willing to share their need. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Worship team, come on up here. I, I mean, how hard can it be? What will God ask you to do? What will he ask you to give up? What will he ask you to receive? What vulnerability will he ask you to steer into? What need will he ask you to expose to his grace? What thing that you've been depending on that's so importantly may ask you to give up? Probably won't be everything you have, but it might be. We've got a short video here. People that you'll recognize, maybe all of them, because they're from our congregation, that responded to that very call. It'll be a little bit hard to see, but it's worth looking for. And then we'll sing a fabulous song. That's the fundamental question. He is the great I am. Will you trust him? Who knows what that means? But the rewards, you heard a little bit of Lupe's life. Incredible. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your love is unfinished. Your, your, your promises are yes and amen, but sometimes those mountains do not move. Holy Spirit, give us the power to trust you when it seems like we're betrayed on every side. Give us the power to trust you when the job's gone away. Give us the power to trust you when you ask us to enter into relationships. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sin to bring healing and forgiveness and wholeness. Thank you for living against to bring us fullness of life. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to spread the good news of who you are. And we'll take that message to the land, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.